0: Hey, everyone. This is Pastor Jonathan. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in and listening to our sermon from Connection Church in Leed. And I wanted to encourage you, while listening to a sermon online can be very helpful and edifying, and we do appreciate you listening, if you're not connected into a local body of believers, I would encourage you to do so. We, we are commanded not to neglect the gathering together So find a gospel-centered, Bible-preaching church where you can submit to the elders and fellowship there. If you don't have a church home and you are in the Leeds, South Dakota area, feel free to join us. We would love to come have you join us and worship with us. With that said, thank you and enjoy the sermon. Well, this morning... We're going to be moving into our time of the reading of God's word and hearing it preached. This morning we'll be in Ephesians chapter 5 verses 21 through 32. We've been trucking along through the book of Ephesians. We've honestly been moving very quickly as any of these verses we could probably spend a week on just a single verse. But in an attempt to see the context of the book and to really take it to heart, we've been covering larger sections. So this morning we're covering our next text. It is one of everyone's absolute favorites. In this passage, Paul commands wives to be subject to their husbands and for husbands to love their wives. And he details how these roles mirror the relationship between Christ and the church. These are the ones where husbands and wives like to nudge each other during each individual section of it. And be like, yeah, hey, you getting this, hun? So I would encourage you, don't nudge your spouse or, you know, be uh, thinking negatively of your spouse in any of these. Because, believe me, there's enough hard commands in this passage for all of us to be convicted and to grow. So... With this in mind, I'd ask that you stand with me for the reading of God's word, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. And being subject to one another in the fear of Christ, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, Each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Behold the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that your word does not leave us in darkness, but it illuminates our lives. Lord, I pray that you would just strengthen us and help us, sanctify us as a church, that we would take these words to heart. What I pray that we would be encouraged and strengthened, specifically in our relationship, husbands and wife, as this passage deals with. What I pray that we would, that we would be encouraged by this, that we would even change how we live our lives. What I pray that you would show us areas where we're not obeying you in these in these commands. What I pray that you would convict husbands where they're not loving their wives. As you love the church, I pray that you would convict wives where they're not submitting to their husbands. And Lord, I pray that you would just take these truths to heart. See the beauty of your design for the relationship between man and woman. And Lord, we thank you for who you are. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we open this, I want to give an introductory idea to something. Yeah, you guys can sit. Down. I'm sorry. I normally say you can be seated. I didn't say that. That's, I'm sorry. You know, uh, in the early church, it's actually funny. In the early church, the teacher would actually sit, and the congregants would stand. So, you know, I could pull up a chair, and you guys could stand the whole time. That'd be great. This would be awesome. You would really be wanting me to keep it short at that point. But I want to open with an introductory idea to what I call covenant unity. We hear words uh, in passages like this, like, be subject. To someone or we are to submit to someone or other and kind of our hackles raise up a little bit and I think that's because we have this idea in our current culture that to be subject or to be submissive to one person or another is to be lesser than that person. We kind of put it in a hierarchy of terms where if a wife is supposed to submit to her husband that automatically means that what it's saying is that the wife is lesser or that the wife is the property of the husband. Well that's not the picture that scripture gives. Scripture has this idea that you can be subject to one another while being equal. And the reason is, is because of this idea of covenant unity. We'll see as we go through this text that that the husband is compared to that of a head. And that the wife and the church is compared to that of a body. Well, no one thinks of their body as lesser or property of a head, right? Like you don't sit there and you don't even differentiate between your head and your body. All of us naturally understand that the head is part of the body. And so there's this idea of unity. that Yes, the head and the body serve in different roles. There are God-given roles for your hand to do that your head ought not. I don't know if you've ever tried to screw a Phillips head screwdriver with your ear, but it doesn't work. There are roles that are given to these different things, but you're united. They are perfect unity. One is not lesser. One is not greater. I think this is perfectly encapsulated in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 4. We'll, We'll reference this verse a few times through the sermon. But listen to what Paul says to the Corinthians. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise also, the husband does not have authority over his own body. But the wife does. And you see, there's this mutual relationship that's shown in this verse. That the wife is to have the authority over the husband's body. And the husband is to have authority over the wife's body. It's this picture of unity within a relationship. One is not greater. One is not lesser. Yes, they have different roles. But they're equal. But perhaps the greatest biblical picture of being in submission while in perfect unity is that of the trinity god exists one god in three persons god the father god the son and god the holy spirit god the son in his time on earth it's repeated throughout scripture that he obeyed his father that he was submissive to god the father's plan that he was subject to the father now let me ask you this Is God the Son lesser than God the Father? If you say yes, you're guilty of a number of of ancient heresies. But no, God the Son is not lesser than God the Father. They are co-equal of the same substance. They are equal with one another. So also, God the Spirit is subject to the Father and the Son. So there's sort of a hierarchy of roles. But the Spirit is not lesser than the Father, equally God, co-equal with the Father and the Son. So I want to open with that because I kind of want to just lay a foundation and put to rest this idea that being subject means inferior. That's not what it means. So let's dive into the text. I opened with verse 21, even though we loosely covered it last week. Verse 21 says that we ought to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. We are all of us subject to one another. Paul, writing to the church, specifically in Ephesus, but also as to be distributed throughout the church as a whole, he commands the people in the church to be subject to one another. Why? In the fear of Christ, in that honoring, that reverencing of who Christ is, we are to each be subject to one another. We are to have a form of obedience and service and honor and reverence for one another. Now this doesn't negate what Paul says elsewhere about different roles within the church. The church is commanded to have a plurality of elders. The church is commanded to have this leadership structure of godly men over them. The church is to be led by elders and deacons. The, the elders would be led by the, the chief pastor. And obviously, we see elsewhere in Scripture that those roles are to be revered, right? They're to be looked up to, they're to be followed, they're to be obeyed, in a sense. When the Word of God is presented, it is to be obeyed. The person who presents it is to be honored. But that does not mean that, for some reason, the pastor is greater and the congregants are lesser. That's not what this means. Certainly, there have been churches that have attempted to say such things, But that's not what is meant by this. We are to, all of us, be subject to one another. I love what Calvin says. He says, where love reigns, mutual services will be rendered. I do not accept even kings and governors whose very authority is held for the service of the community. It is highly proper that all should be exhorted to be subject to each other in their turn. What this means is Calvin is saying, he's obviously writing in a different time in history, he says that I would not even accept the king from this. If the king were to wander in, the king of a nation were to wander into a church service, that king would be expected before God to be subject to each other within the church. It's a beautiful picture of love and mutual submission. And Paul goes on. In verses 22 through 24, he says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Starting verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. So we see, even in this this opening passage, we see this parallel that wives are compared to the church. And the husband is compared to Christ. And so the wife is to be subject to her husband. Calvin again says, he begins with wives whom he enjoins to be subject to their husbands in the same manner as to Christ, as to the Lord. Not that the authority is equal, but wives cannot obey Christ without yielding obedience to their husbands. This is an important point to miss. The husband in the relationship between a husband and wife does not have the same authority as Christ. It's not that the husband is Christ. It's that he is to mirror Christ. He is to picture Christ in this relationship. And in that manner, a wife who claims to obey Christ, but who is adamantly refusing to submit to the authority that god has given her husband is not actually obeying christ you cannot obey christ if you are not submitting to your husband paul explains he gives reasoning for this he explains he doesn't just give this command he gives an explanation for it he says for the husband is the head of the wife just as christ also is the head of the church he himself being the savior of the body Paul would say this elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 11.3, something very similar. He said, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. So, So Paul is listing this sort of way that the authority trickles down, that God the Father is the head of the Trinity, right? Like, he is the authority within the triune nature of God, and then is the Son christ and christ is the head of every leader in the household every man of every household christ ought to be his head and the man is the head of the woman so what does this mean a lot of people have tried to twist this a lot of people have tried to say throughout history that this means that you know what paul is saying paul is being sexist right and he's saying that the woman ought never to say anything, that the woman ought never to have any input in the relationship whatsoever. I want to put that to bed right away. Within Scripture, in the book of Proverbs specifically, there are multiple Proverbs where wisdom is personified. So there's this picture of, of wisdom as a person. And it's an illustration that's used again and again through the book of Proverbs that every time wisdom is personified as a woman— So a wise man who neglects the counsel and who neglects to cultivate the wisdom of his wife is a fool. Yes, scripturally, the man is the covenant head of the family. He is to be the one who has to rule over his household. And he is called to rule well. He has to make decisions. And as the head, he bears responsibility for his whole family. But a wise man will understand the wisdom and the counsel of a godly wife. What this means is that the husband is to rule over the household. And this is not an evil concept. You know, in our day and age, we tend to view... You know, there, there are a few words that are just kind of akin to swear words within our culture. One of them is patriarchy. Right, Down with the patriarch. It's always seen as a negative word. But I, I find it interesting. Very few people actually define what it means. The word patriarchy simply means father rule. We see the word used again and again through the Old Testament. Abraham is a patriarch. Isaac is a patriarch. Jacob is a patriarch. Sometimes they're pretty bad patriarchs, right? Sometimes they really get things wrong. But what it means is they are tasked with the responsibility of leading their family. Abraham, when, you know, if you remember the story in Genesis, um, there were a few different times where Abraham told Sarah, his wife, To say, hey, don't say you're my wife because you're really good looking. And if people know that I'm married to you, they're going to kill me so that they can marry you. Say you're my sister. He consults her to lie, and she does. And yes, it's clearly wrong that she lies. But where does God put the responsibility for that sin? On Abraham. Isaac does the exact same thing with his wife. Where does God place that sin? Yes, it was wrong of their wives to follow their, to follow their lead and lie, right? Like, they shouldn't have disobeyed God and bore false witness, obviously. But God lays the responsibility for that sin at the feet of the patriarch. Because as the man, they are to rule their households well. They are to rule it in a way that God commands. And Paul Explores this illustration that says the husband is the wife the, uh, uh, is the head of the wife excuse me bleh, if i can talk the husband is the head of the wife and he says it's just as christ is the head of the church well think of how christ rules and think of how the church is to submit that is the illustration that is the picture that paul gives well how did christ lead the church well first and foremost paul gives us the great greatest example he says christ being the savior of the body of the church the greatest illustration of of the headship of christ is the fact that christ laid down his life for the church that he redeemed the church well clearly paul is not saying that husbands have to bring salvation to their wives that's obviously not what's being said That's clear from the rest of Scripture as well as this passage. But the husband, what he's saying is the husband is not just the physical head of the wife. The husband is not just the one that is to make the financial calls or something like that. No. The husband is to lead his household, but specifically his wife, as the spiritual head, not just the physical. The husband is to be the spiritual head of the household. And the wife is to image the church. And be subject to her husband in everything. And instantly we have exceptions come up in our minds. I'll get to those. Don't worry. But I want to I wanna point this out. The wife is to be the image of the church submitting to Christ. And this is tied back to the very nature of a creation. very nature of how God made things. And, and maybe it would be clarifying Uh, There was a quote I stumbled across from R.C. Sproul. I greatly respect him as a pastor and an author. But he said this. In a sense, God made Adam king over creation. And he gave Eve to him as his queen. Not as his slave girl. There's all the difference in the world between a queen and a slave girl. So you see, being subject in everything, our instant picture is... Well, does that mean that I'm just supposed to be a slave and obey every single thing that is said? No. That's clearly not what is meant. What is meant is, wives, your husband has a real authority delegated by God. And you are to submit to that authority. Not as a slave, but as a queen would obey her king. It's a beautiful picture. But then Paul transitions. I want to keep moving. And he says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. Just as Christ also loved the church. You see, the wife, it is a difficult thing to mirror the church, right? Like, that's a difficult task. That's a difficult command to submit to your husbands as the church is to submit to Christ. That's clearly a difficult command. That's not easy. But then Paul flips things on its head and he says, hey, husbands, you know what you got to imitate? Jesus. And every man goes, ah, crud. The husband is to show perfect, unfailing love to his wife. Just as Christ gave himself up for the church, so also the husband is to give himself up for his wife. Husbands, your task is to love your wives just like christ loves the church why verse 26 says so that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water and the word christ sanctifies the church he does not just give himself up for the church but he also seeks the church to grow in holiness and righteousness and he does this through water and the word this is a picture of baptism baptism is the initial step of obedience post-salvation it's that first proclamation that christ is lord And then through the word, through the word, the word of God is the continual sanctifier. It's our authority and standard. One thinks of John chapter 17, verse 17, easy reference to remember, John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So also the husband is to see his wife sanctified. If the wife is lost, it should be the task of the husband to see her come to faith in Christ and to be baptized And it should also be the husband's task to see his wife continually grow closer to Christ through the word. Because this is what Christ does for the church. He gives himself up for her. He sanctifies her through baptism, through the word. That he might present himself a pure, spotless, holy, and blameless bride. It's so interesting that this is Christ's task with the church. Verse 27. That he might present to himself the church in all her glory having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. This is Christ's task in the church. If you ever wonder why we as Christians go through such difficulties from time to time? Why life seems to be filled with ups and downs? Christ is sanctifying you. He's sanctifying us as a church so that he might present a beautiful bride to himself. Well, so also, a husband ought to prioritize his wife's holiness and her purity of life. He ought to cultivate that. And Paul goes on. He doesn't just leave it here with husbands. He continues to kind of rag on husbands. And he says, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Verses 28 through 30. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. Paul's painting a picture, and he says, husbands, to love your wife is to love yourself. The natural instinct, I mean, think about it. We all have that natural instinct of self-preservation and self-betterment, especially as men, right? Men, we want to better ourselves. Men strive To be better at something. And part of that's our competitive nature. But we have a natural desire for self preservation and self betterment. And this ought to extend over your wife. To love her is to love yourself. But this is not just like a self love, it is to be a specific type of love. We are to nourish and cherish our wives, just as Christ nourishes and cherishes his bride. Husbands are to mirror Christ. We are to nourish and cherish our brides. And this is so beautiful in this passage. The the way that the Apostle Paul mirrors marriage to the relationship between Christ and the church. He's constantly bouncing back and forth. Painting this picture of the husband mirroring Christ and the wife mirroring the church. And we can learn about the love of God for us, the church, through this illustration. This is why one commentator says, he says, whoever considers seriously the design of marriage cannot but love his wife. If you stop and you think about how Christ loves the church, husbands, if you actually stop and consider how Christ cares for the church, you can't help but love your wife. When you think of how Christ has loved you, sacrificed himself for you, sanctified you, you will naturally well up within you a love for your wife. And this is because husband and wife are one flesh, just as Christ and the church are one flesh. Husband and wife are united. Remember that 1 Corinthians 7:4. the wife does not have authority over her body, but the husband does. And the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. There's this picture of perfect unity in the relationship of marriage. So also there is perfect unity between Christ and the church. One thinks of Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, 23. He says, I in them and you in me, that they they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. And Jesus goes on and on in this picture in John 17 of how he is in the Father and we are in him. And therefore we are in the Father. And it's this beautiful picture of the church being united to God. And then Paul takes a jump back in verse 31. He says, for this reason, he starts quoting the Old Testament, right? He's talking about unity between Christ and the church. And he instantly jumps back to the Old Testament. He goes, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This is tied to the very creation order. The way that God made man and woman. The way that God created man and woman in the garden was made to be a picture of Christ in the church is written into the very nature of how God made humanity. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 25. Listen to this. This is the account of the creation of Eve. And Yahweh took God, or Yahweh God, excuse me, took the man and set him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. And Yahweh commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may surely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat from it. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Then God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. It's important to note this is the first time in scripture that something is not good. Then Yahweh said, it's not good, sorry, Uh, uh, I'll make a helper suitable for him. And out of the ground, God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky, and he brought each of the animals to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the cattle and the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And Yahweh fashioned the rib which he had taken from the man into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is the first poetry in scripture. This one finally is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman because this one was taken out of a man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. From the very creation, woman was taken out of man and formed. And then brought back together to be united in this perfect role of unity through love and submission. But perhaps even more mysterious than this is the fact that this is the picture of Christ and the church. Paul says, this mystery is great talking about marriage, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Marriage is to mirror Christ and the church. It's a beautiful, beautiful mystery. And it's beautiful when wives submit to their husbands and when husbands love their wives And one of the reasons that it's so beautiful is because when a man loves a woman and when a woman submits to a man in the bond of marriage, it displays in a physical act the gospel. It is showing the story of redemption. When a man properly loves his wife, it is displaying physically the love that Christ has for the church. And when a woman submits to her husband, it is showing how the church ought to relate to Christ. What an amazing picture. And what an amazing picture. Especially think of children in the home. When a father and a mother do this, they are displaying every day to their children the truth of the gospel. And then Paul summarizes in verse 33. Nevertheless, each individual among you Also is to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So he closes with the same command. He summarizes everything. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to Christ. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And I want to show you, this is not an obscure commandment. This is a consistent command throughout Scripture. Listen to Colossians three eighteen through 21. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Almost the exact same thing. It's not just Paul either. Listen to what Peter commands in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 9. In the same way... You wives be subject to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, as they observe your pure conduct with fear. Your adornment, uh, he goes on to talk about the adornment, but, but think about those, those, first, those first two verses. It is so powerful when a woman submits to her husband that Peter says it's an evangelistic tool. That a wife could lead her husband to Christ through this act. And then he goes on and he talks about how uh, women should not adorn themselves just, just externally. Like you shouldn't necessarily be concerned about how you look externally. Um, but let your beauty be the hidden person in the heart, um, which is precious in the sight of God. He ties it back to the Old Testament. He says in verse 7, he picks up and says, You husbands, in the same way, same way live with your wives in an understanding way as the weaker vessel. Since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. That's interesting. If husbands look down upon their wives and view them as lesser, Peter says that their prayers will be hindered. Just because your wife submits to you does not make you greater than her, she is a fellow heir of the grace of life. Now to sum up, Peter says in verse 8, All of you be like-minded, sympathetic, brotherly, tender-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. There's also specific commands in regards to older men and older women. Titus chapter 2, 1 through 8. Paul says, to titus but as for you speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine older men are to be temperate dignified sensible sound in the faith in love in perseverance Boy, that's really good life advice older men see to it you're temperate dignified sensible sound in faith in love and perseverance older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior not malicious gossips nor enslaved to much wine Teaching what is good so that they may instruct the young women in sensibility to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be slandered. Older women are to teach younger women what it looks like to submit to their husbands. Likewise, in verse 6, urge the younger men to be sensible in all things. Show yourself to be a model of good work with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in word, which is irreproachable, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. This is a consistent teaching through Scripture, but it's very unpopular. This is not exactly, you know, if you're going to guest speak in someone's church, this probably isn't the text you're going to pick. You're probably not going to go, yeah, you know what I'm going to preach on? Live submitting to their husband. Oh, you might just to be kind of ornery because then the fact that that pastor at that church got to put up with it. But uh, this is not a popular teaching. And there are a lot of objections. There are a lot of questions about this. And so I want to answer a few of these. These are ones that either I have heard from different people throughout my life, or these are ones that I, that I hear in common, um, common objections to this idea. So I want to answer a few of these questions. If you have more questions, I want to encourage you to ask. If you have more questions, there's cards in the back. Write down your question. Drop it in the offering box. I would love to actually answer the questions you have. But these are the ones that I find most common. In regards to women submitting to their husbands, the most most common objection that I hear is submission makes women lesser than men, and therefore it leads to oppression i hope i've answered this one already but in case i haven't the answer to that objection is we are one in christ with no one being lesser or greater the biblical image is that the husband and wife are one flesh with the husband being the head and the wife being the body this is a picture of equal dependence with different roles and commands the second objection Are you saying wives are to submit to their husbands in all situations? Often this is summarized by people asking, well, what about abusive situations, right? Is a wife supposed to submit to her husband in an abusive relationship? Well, the answer to this is that the husband does have real authority. It's genuine authority. It's given by God, but it is a limited authority. It's not limitless. Christ is to, or the husband is to mirror Christ. He is not Christ. Therefore, the husband cannot command his wife to commit a crime or a sin. The authority of the husband does not extend beyond God's law. This is the consistent view of scripture for all authorities. Uh, Think, if you were here with us when we were studying through Matthew and we dealt with Jesus saying, render to Caesar that which is Caesar's, but to God that which is God's. Jesus was painting a picture in that passage that the the sphere of authority that the civil government has is a real authority. It's delegated by God, right? They're commanded by God to handle it in a certain way, but they cannot command us to sin. The civil government cannot say to Christians, stop taking communion. Well, we'd have to disobey them because God commands us to partake of the Lord's Supper. In the same way, a husband has real authority, but it's limited. He cannot command his wife to sin or to commit a crime. Secondly, in dealing with abuse, when there is clear abuse or sexual immorality, I believe it is the consistent picture of Scripture that the wife ought to come under the protection of the church or the civil authority. So if a husband is beating his wife... That is a crime, and it should be punished as a crime. Now, if possible, I believe in those situations, there should be reconciliation. The man should seek help, the woman should seek counsel, and there ought to be reconciliation. So this is not a limitless command, but it is a blanket command. In most situations, you ought to submit, but there are several exceptions. The third objection, is that it's unfair for men and women to have different commands because men and women are fundamentally the same. Well, that's just not true scripturally. Men and women, yes, they're equal. They're both made in the image of God, but they're not the same. Men and women are different. They're complementary, yes. But women can do things that men can't. And likewise, men can do things that women can't. They are different, and therefore God has given us different roles and commands. There are many, many objections to this on that side, but I want to get to the men. For men, the most common objection that I hear to this is, if my wife doesn't submit to me, do I still have to love her? That's a common, common question for men. Well, hold on. If my wife is disobeying and she's not submitting to me, do I still have to show her this love? The answer to that, yes, you do. Christ's perfect love for the church never wavers, even though, let's be honest, as Christians, we're terrible at submitting to Christ, but he still loves us. Men also like to ask, because this is an impossible command, then I don't have to do it. I guess think about it. This, this truly is, if you think about the commands within scripture, if you want to list the genuinely impossible commands, this one would be up there. It's like, be holy as I am holy. Yeah, that's never going to happen, God. I'm not going to be able to do that. Husbands, perfectly mirror Christ in your relationship with your wife. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right. But just because it's impossible does not negate the fact that it's a command. Husbands, you are obligated before God to love your wife as Christ loves the church. Now, we know we're going to fail at this. But this is why we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit And we beg God for forgiveness when we fail. We beg our wives for forgiveness when we fail. And we ask God to aid us in doing this. We fall on our knees. We confess where we failed. And we rely on Christ to help us grow to love our wives as he commanded. Those are the most common objections that I personally hear. If you have other questions, I encourage you to ask. But I want to focus on the beauty of God's design. Because this is a beautiful thing. I think it's safe to say in our modern culture that the idea of feminine submission and masculine headship is kind of hated. So because this is something that we don't necessarily hear in our culture, I want to paint this picture of the beauty of this. I want to describe to you what a relationship between a wife and a husband is to look like and why it's beautiful according to the the Word of God. Men and women are different. They're made different by God on purpose, and they are to function in those holy differences. God made men to do divinely appointed masculine things— and god made women to do divinely appointed feminine things this is holy and this is righteous and we ought not disobey how god made us nor ought we dis- to distort those roles that god gave us and this should be a very basic principle god made us i think he knows how we function best and perhaps you're here and you're wondering hmm that sounds good. Why, why is that so offensive to our culture? If that's you, I commend your resilience in our day. We live, we live in a time where past generations, multiple generations in the past, have accepted a fundamental lie. I'm sure we could probably say many things about the rise of sort of a feministic mindset within our culture. And likely, many of these things we could say would be good. We could probably point to the rise of feminism as an idolatry, as an I- ideology. Idolatry, wow. Is that a Freudian slip? I don't know. Uh, uh, as an ideology, we could probably point to many things that we would go, hey, this is a good thing about this, right? This is a good thing. This is a good thing. We could probably also point to many bad things about the rise of sort of a, a feministic mindset within the culture. But the thing that I want to point to is that tucked down deep inside at the corner of this mindset is a lie. It's a foundational lie. The lie is that as a culture, we believe fundamentally men and women are the same. And we display this belief through the idea that men and women are completely interchangeable. We function as a society as if women are completely interchangeable with men and men are completely interchangeable with women. We display this through statements like there's nothing that a man can do that a woman can't do. And yes, the statement is made vice versa. I don't think any of us actually believe that, but it seems to be this cultural lie that keeps coming up. There's nothing a man can do that a woman can't do. And there's nothing a woman can do that a man can't do. I think we can... Pretty quickly come up with some illustrations. I don't know a man that can give birth. Right? I think it's pretty quick we can come up with illustrations and go, hang on, this has got some flaws. But fundamentally, the idea that men and women are the same is not true. I pray you hear me on this. I pray you hear me very clearly. Women, there are things that you can and ought to do That no man can, nor should he do. God has given you the ability and responsibility to be and to do things that only you as a woman can do. No man can do these things, nor should a man try. And this is beautiful and righteous. Men there are things that you can and ought to do that no woman can nor should do. God has given you ability and responsibility to be and to do things that only you as a man can do. No woman can do that, nor should she try. This is beautiful and righteous. Men, You are called to be leaders and heads. You are called to be the righteous lords over your household. You are to take up responsibility and ownership. You are tasked by God to protect your family. You should be capable as men of great violence, but that capability ought to be tempered in love. And it ought to be pointed towards provision and protection for your family. You are to be the spiritual leaders and heads of your house. You are to be the pastor of your family. You are to lead them closer and closer to the Lord. You are to be the head of education in your home, seeing the training of your children. All of this is to be done in the perfect love of Christ. Christ is your example, and you are to follow him. How has Christ treated the church? So you are to treat your wife and, by extension, your family. In short, you are to protect, provide, pastor, and prepare your family say those again in short you are to protect provide pastor and prepare your family women you are called to be the helper as the term that is used for you in scripture the helper coincidentally it's the same term used for this for god the spirit the helper you are to help your husband your husband cannot complete his divinely appointed task without you by his side You are to support and uplift. You are tasked by God to nurture your family as a loving gardener. You are to follow the lead of your husband and encourage him to lead in the path of righteousness. When he is weak, you are his comfort. When he is defeated, you are his nurse. As he pastors your family, you are to be helping hold his arms up to the Lord. He is the overseer of education and the training of children, but you are the one who is raising the children. It is your voice over the many hours supporting his leading that will see your children trained in the Lord. You are to treat how are you to treat your husband? You are to submit to him as you would to Christ. In short, you are to cultivate, comfort, support and submit. You are to cultivate comfort, support and submit. Men: your wife needs you to be a strong leader. She needs that. Your wife and your children need you to take your role as the covenant head seriously. They need you to be a man. Stop being weak and passive and strive for strength. Your wife needs you to love her and to cherish her. Women, your husband needs you to submit and honor him. He needs your help. He needs you to be his support. There is nothing that a man wants or needs more than for his wife to admire and honor him he needs you to be a woman and your kids need you to submit and honor your husband so how do we do these things first and foremost i want it to be abundantly clear we do these things under the power of the holy spirit Any one of us who goes from this room and just attempts to muscle up the ability to do these things will fail. We cannot do these things under our own power. These are practical things. I like to say of the commands of God, they're easy to understand, they're hard to live out. They're practical things, but we cannot do them outside of Christ. We will fail. Each one of us in here will fail in these tasks. But this is the beauty of the gospel. When we fail, we know we have forgiveness. We know that we have forgiveness in Christ. And we know beyond just forgiveness, as Christians, we have the Spirit of God living within us who is constantly at work to make us more like Christ. So as we attempt to apply these things, I want to give some very specific application. But as we attempt to apply these things, remember, when we fall short, when we fail, we have forgiveness in Christ, and we have the promise of the Spirit that will help us to grow. So what does this look like? Specifically, wives, what does it look like to submit to your husband? Well, you need to honor him. Ask yourself this question. In this situation, how would I treat someone I really looked up to and honored? A lot of women, I feel like, struggle because, I don't know if you know this, men and women think differently. We process things differently. We kind of think on different wavelengths. And I find that a lot of women that I talk to, a lot of women I know, struggle with, what does it look like to respect and honor my husband? Like It just doesn't seem to click, right? Well, think Think of someone who is like a well-respected elder or like a a, a professor or an expert. Someone in authority, right? Someone who has real authority. To honor them, it, it, it sort of comes natural because you recognize the authority that they have. You look up to these people. So wives, what does it look like to submit to your husband? Honor them. How would I treat someone who I looked up to? You admire them. Ask yourself this question. In this situation, how would I treat someone who has authority that I really do admire? Someone who handles situations well. Someone who you are proud of. You respect their opinion and their voice. Ask yourself this question. How can I take what he's saying to heart? Treat your husband as if he has something real to say. Treat your husband as if he actually has something worthwhile to communicate. Imagine if you could sit down with an expert in a field and ask them questions. You would listen to them, right? You would show respect to what they're saying. Treat your husband this way. But most importantly, support your husband. Your husband has a calling and a mission from God. You are called as his wife to be his helper. Ask yourself this question How can I help him accomplish his calling or mission? That's such a good question to ask in life. What can I do to help him accomplish this mission? Husbands, perhaps I have less to say on this because as a man, this still kind of confuses me. But, husbands, what does it look like to love your wife? You sacrifice. Ask yourself, what do I need to give up in order to make sure her needs are met? One of the principal failures of men is we tend to be passive. We tend to be kind of lazy, and we tend to be kind of selfish. So men, what do you need to give up in order to make sure that your wife's needs are met? These are not just physical needs. It's not like, okay, we got a house, I can quit working now. (laughs) That's not how this works. What does she need? and be willing as a man to give some things up. Confession. How can I confess my love for her in a way that she'll hear it? Again, men and women think very differently. This is a difficult one for me to accomplish. Uh, I I struggle to communicate that I love Catherine in a way she hears. I'm always like, I tell you this all the time. She's like, I haven't heard this in a while. We talk differently. So strive to say these things, to communicate and confess your love for her in a way that she will hear. Make sure that she knows that you value her. Make sure that she knows that you value her input, her wisdom. Men, nurture. It's one of the specific ones called out in this passage. Nurture your wife. How can you ensure that she continues to grow in a healthy way? Prioritize the spiritual growth of your wife. Make sure that she's thriving in her relationship with Christ. Make sure she's thriving Physically, emotionally, and cherish, the other one that's specifically called out in this passage. What does it mean to cherish? Cherish means to protect and love. Specifically, it speaks of value. How can I ensure long term and immediate protection and love for my wife? We are specifically called to cherish, protect, and love our wives and our families. If you want to get really practical men, you should seek ways to protect your family. Like I think I think as men we kind of get that, especially in this area. Let's be honest. We've all got guns, we all hunt, we all understand the idea of protection, right? We're good men. We're good mountain men in this area. Seek ways to protect your wife because she's valuable. but how do you accomplish these things as a family? I would encourage you, one of the most practical steps you can take is to be connected in the church. One of the greatest things about the church is that we don't do this alone. We're not alone in this. We have families around us who can strengthen, encourage, give wisdom. Remember that passage in Titus about how older men are to train younger men, older women are to train younger women? that happens in the context of the church so don't try and do this alone be a part of the local church so in closing to summarize this men you are not to be dictators nor are you to be pansies you are to function as noble knights and lords patterned after christ the high king you are to pattern how you treat your family off of how christ treats the church women You are not to be domineering nor nagging. You are to be the picture of wisdom and grace patterned after the church. Remember, men and women, in marriage you are one flesh, head and body, tasked with taking dominion and spreading the kingdom of God. And let's be honest, this is a fun task. To spread the kingdom of God, to take dominion in this world, to actually build something, this is fun. This is enjoyable. let me tell you, it becomes a lot more fun when we do it in obedience to Christ. Church, as a whole, we are to be the bride of Christ. We are to be holy, submissive, and pure to our husband, Christ. So, in closing, husbands love your wives, and wives submit to your husbands. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much For your word, I thank you for who you are. I pray we may take it to heart. I I pray that we may take to heart what it looks like to be husbands and wives. Lord, we know that human relationships here on this earth are strained and difficult. We know these things are not easy to apply. They might be easy to understand, but we know that they are hard to apply. We know that we will fail. We know that we will have failures in this. We will not always handle it perfectly. So Lord, I pray you would give us grace. Give us grace when as husbands we fail to love our wives, to sacrifice for our wives, to lay down our lives for her as you did for us, the church. Lord, forgive our wives when they fail to submit to us when they fail to follow our lead. Lord, help us to rely on you in this. And Lord, I pray that we would take to heart this divine mystery that you, that you would love us as a bride, that the church is pictured to be a bride. God, help us to take this divine mystery to heart, that you love us enough to lay down your life for us. We are not a submissive bride. We're headstrong and disobedient, often ignoring your leadership. Please forgive us of this, Lord, and help us as a church to follow and submit to you. Lord, I ask that you would strengthen us and encourage us through this week. Help us to love one another well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You stand with me and let's close out in the doxology. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here. Passage, nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. I hope you have a good week. Amen.